When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. My name is Brian Robb, joined today by Michael Pina. Uh, Rich Levine will be back with us next week. And for today, we figured uh, we'd take a little stroll down memory lane here uh, with the entire world watching the the Last Dance documentary Um chronicling the 97-98 Chicago Bulls, or to be honest, like the last 10 years of that team, more than that season. But uh, we did notice that they did skip over a key portion of that 97-98 season for the Bulls, and that was their opening night loss in Boston to the vaunted Rick Pitino, Ron Mercer, Chauncey Billups-led Celtic squad. So... uh, they skipped over that part. We are not going to, especially since Michael Pino was live in person. So we're going to get to that in a second. In the meantime, uh, please give us a, a, a like or a review or just subscribe to us at the Winning Plays Podcast. Um, shout out to our sponsor, betonline.ag and CLNS. Um, but this was a... Well, first off, Mike, we've seen four episodes of this documentary uh, so far, are you and the the ratings didn't really drop off at all. So are you all in on this as everyone else is so far? Oh, 100 um, percent. I've my lens to consume it is a little different because it starts 9 p.m. Eastern on Sundays and I want to watch them with my wife. So we DVR it and then watch it on Monday nights instead of Sunday. And so I basically get the. You know, the Twitter conversation all day, Monday. I try to avoid it and not get spoilers as much as possible, but it's basically impossible. Like, everyone on my timeline is just devouring it. This week it was uh, the Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan beef. Last week it was Scottie Pippen's contract. Uh, There's Dennis Rodman. There's the Dream Dream Team kerfuffle. There's so much to discuss it's it's honestly incredible i mean there's a lot of stuff that uh i never knew before and a lot of stuff i forgot and especially at this time without sports like it's just it's it's sugar it's beautiful i love it so much it's funny you mentioned that you're watching it with your wife which is awesome is she a big nba fan in general or did she kind of no. want to right so <laughs> this is funny not. it's it, this is so funny that you say this because my wife Kate does not like it, NBA, much at all. Like, she obviously follows it loosely, knows the Celtics because of me. Um, she knows the off days. She, she knows the off days, exactly. She knows when, <laughs> like, I'm not on a road trip. But so she actually brought up a few days ago being like, oh, hey, you know, I would watch that with you. And I was like, oh, sorry. Like, I actually already started watching it, like, uh, you know, after you went to bed on, like, the Sunday nights it comes out. And she got mad at me being like, oh, this is a, an opportunity for you to, like, you know, for us to watch basketball together, for me to learn about this. And I'm like, oh, crap, I, I kind of blew it. So you were smarter than me, Mike. You were, 
making it a, a family activity and it how is she liking it is she appreciating it just as much or? she is yeah, like she and i love documentaries in general usually they're like about serial killers and mass murder but uh we actually watched the so she's from michigan so we watched the bad boys 30 for 30 when that came out we watched the dennis rodman documentary when that came out so this past uh, week there was a lot of i guess like overlap between what we saw with the pistons and those couple docs and so she already knows a lot of that story but it was still wonderful she's like uh she was mesmerized by the fact that Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas still hate each other. And mm-hmm. uh, Horace Grant's quote, which was <laughs> just like one of the best things I've ever seen uttered on television. Uh, she was, I mean, we were both dying laughing when that yeah. happened. So there's just like a lot of, yeah, it's like, it's, I feel like you don't even need to be a sports fan, honestly. There's so much 90s nostalgia, which is another thing that anyone our age, um, born in the late '80s, grew up in the. Like if you grew up in the '90s, you should just love this. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's so true. It's a great point, and like you said, for people like me and you, you know, we were teenagers in this era. So you just you you miss so many things, even though this is obviously, I feel like we're their target audience for this, you know, for these kind of of a series. But it is a fascinating look. You you wonder, you know. Are they going to be able to drag this out into 10 episodes? And you're like, absolutely. They could probably drag this out into 20 episodes if you want. Because I feel Easily. like we've barely seen, we've, we've barely even seen much of that season yet, which is like, I imagine they're saving all that juicy stuff for the end, but it should be the good. I mean, I can only imagine only get better from here. Oh, no question. I mean, like, they could, you could do five hours about the Pistons <laughs> Bulls beef. Like, the fact that all these guys are willing to open up and talk so freely and uh, just, like, cut open a vein and just get emotional about it, it's its incredible. It's um, its one of the best things I've ever seen. I love it so much. That's, that's, you know, probably a little bit of the context and us taking it in at a time when there's no other sports to watch or consume, but it's fantastic. And uh, I know we're about to talk about the opening night of that season, the last dance season, uh, right now. Um, and, uh, just like, so just, I guess like spoiler alert or whatever. (laughs) It was, uh, uh, that, that game was on, uh, Halloween night and I had the option. My parents told me that I could either go trick or treating or, go watch Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman play. And I was like, no brainer. Like I, I, I was, I remember at the time being already a depressed little kid that the Celtics lost the lottery. I don't know if you remember that, but the Tim Duncan lottery, it was basically, you know, I would listen to sports radio, WEI constantly at the time when I was a little kid. And they were basically saying that the Celtics already had Tim Duncan for like a year because the odds were, I think, like over 40% or something. Like the Celtics had two picks, two bites at the apple to get the number one pick. So this is where they tricked you, Mike, because it was actually like 38% that even though they had those two picks to get number one. Okay. So yeah. EEI ruined people like you to like make you think that they were supposed to get this pick. Yeah, and when they didn't, it was I was like crying. Like a, <laughs> I was like, this is a nightmare. Um, and it turned out to be even worse than I could have possibly imagined. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, but I was there, so I obviously went to the game. It was one of the best, smartest decisions I ever made. I dressed up like Dennis Rodman because it was Halloween. So I had, like, my little uh, uh, Chicago Bulls starter jacket, you know, those pullovers. Oh, yeah. And I dyed my hair red, and uh, it was one of the greatest nights of all time. And the Celtics won. Yes, which coincides with being the, I'd say, the peak of the Rick Pitino era. Um, truly, which was the first game. Um, but yeah, which, but we bring it up here. It's funny that, you know, you went to it. Um, who did you go with your, your parents? Just, like just me and just, my dad. Yeah. Just you and your dad. So was it like, did you even give a second thoughts being like, well, I'm going to miss out on all this candy. Like, you know, I'll see Jordan again. Or is it like, no, this is, I mean, this is the defending champs coming in. There was, you know, for a 10 year old, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the candy pull would be, on me a little bit, but you clearly were a diehard from day one. No, 100%. I, I'm not going to lie. Halloween's one of my favorite holidays. And, you know, when you're 10 years old, being told that you'll have to wait a year for something is torture. So volunteering, voluntarily passing on the opportunity to walk around my neighborhood and fill my pillowcase up with Snickers bars um, was emotionally devastating. But I think... I I mean I'm not gonna like lie and say it was just a complete no brainer. I did I do recall going over in my head figuring out whether or not I should go trick or treating or go to the game. I made thousand percent the right decision though. All right, so the last dance conveniently skipped over this portion of uh, the bowl schedule. Apparently, understandably so. And the big picture for them, you know, Scotty Pippen was not playing, which is easily forgotten by was easily forgotten by me mm-hmm. um in terms of why the Celtics won this game um but it was also like the Bulls just struggled out of the game they kept losing games on the road to to begin that year but from a Celtics perspective this was uh as probably the biggest game in the history of the franchise for five or six years um you know they hadn't they'd been out of the playoffs obviously since uh Reggie Lewis you know tragically passed and you know, the, the lottery, the tanking didn't work under ML Carr, and the Celtics got stuck with three and six, Chauncey Bulbs and Ron Mercer. So those that was the debut of those guys. But when Bettino came in, he had completely turned over that whole franchise. You know, I think there was only five returning players on the roster uh, from the, the previous season with heavyweights such as uh, Travis Knight and Andrew DeClerc. Um and not Chris Mills, which was their biggest free agent sign. We'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. uh, it was, you know, the Celtics were, the expectations were very low. I think their championship odds were um, probably like 1,000 to 1 or something like that. So They were plus 10,000. Plus 10,000. According to uh, basketball reference. <laughs> so needless to say, there was, things weren't expecting a win here. But from your perspective, like, do you, what do you remember about that night who stood out to you from that night and just like who were the fans excited about on that on that team i mean i'm obviously super pumped to watch michael jordan um he's for an entire generation millions and millions of people he's kind of your entrance point to the game and to athletic greatness and at the time, he was probably, or I should say definitely, the most popular professional athlete in the entire world. 
So getting to watch him in person, getting to go to like any Celtics game when I was a little kid was just like, it was a holiday. So to get to go watch him, watch Rodman, who is probably like the second most famous <laughs> professional athlete, right? Uh, or at least NBA player in the world at the time, uh, to get to watch those two play, just absolutely incredible. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say like I remember specific possessions because no. right before we started recording, I started to watch uh, clips of, or I guess like a YouTube uh, video of the entire game. And uh, I knew that the Celtics won. I knew that the Bulls had a huge lead after the first quarter, 32 to 11, I believe it was. And the Celtics came back and squeaked out a victory. But there's this one shot with like 40 seconds to go. Michael Jordan uh, Bulls down three. Jordan drives and uh, takes this ridiculous runner, fading away. He falls over. It uh, goes in and out, and I guess that was basically the game. But I mean, just watching him, I, I just—it's—it's it's kind of like you had to pinch yourself just to realize that you were in the same building as that dude during such a magic, magical season. Yeah, I mean, Jordan's performance this night: um, seven of twenty-three from the field. Uh, still managed to get 30 points anyway, though, because he got to line 20 times. times. But when you wonder, like, oh, how could they even think about bringing up this team from a ownership perspective? I guess a night like this without Pippen, which who I assume was going to be, you know, want to be out the door given all the anim- animosity he had with that front office uh, by the end of that season. Um, it was not pretty the rest of this year because there was just no, I mean, Kukoc had 12 points. Um, Rodman had 10 off the bench 10 and 9 off the bench surprising to see him come off the bench in this game which didn't last long but might have been Phil Jackson just preserving him but yeah, pretty he, slim he pick actually real quick he uh, played in 80 games which is really funny because in the doc they make this huge deal about him going to Vegas right right he only missed two games the whole right. season <laughs> <laughs> that's so, like a, a an average Rest I know time for a it's, month than any it's guy. So funny. It's, it's like load management. What's the, I mean, honestly, but <laughs> it is a it is a funny story. But um, yeah, he he plays eighty games. Averages like he's thirty six years old. Averages thirty five, thirty six minutes a game, and he actually this was surprising. I looked it up a little while ago. Uh, only started sixty six games that season, and then in the playoffs throughout their entire run, that three-peat, he didn't start, like, I thought he was just a, a fixture in their starting lineup, because you think about, like, the big three there, but he didn't start every game. Like, he probably only started, like, 60-70% of their playoff games, which was kind of wild. Yeah, I guess that's a credit to, like, Phil Jackson in terms of just, like, balancing lineups and stuff way back then, um, knowing that, okay, Jordan can carry any group of scrubs to win most nights, so have Robin for energy off the second unit with Kerr and and Scotty Burrell and Judd Bushler and whatnot. But, yeah, then this night, Jordan didn't have it going. And one of the reasons Jordan did not have it going this night, which I did not, you know, realize time, but after, you know, you can actually rewatch this full game on YouTube, which is a, a fun exercise. Uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Bowen, uh, which was probably the, the best signing of Rick Pitino's career. Um <laughs> which is very sad because he only lasted two years in Boston and clearly blossomed much more later for the Spurs. But uh, this was a big night for Bruce Bowen. This was only the second game of his NBA career. 
played 26 minutes off the bench, had eight points, but clearly guarded Jordan a ton. And uh, him and some timely double teaming really made life tough on MJ for just one night. Yeah, as you'll remember, and all of our listeners should remember, during our uh, our, you grab inc- him in draft? our incredible 90s redraft, which I'm still dreaming about to this day, <laughs> uh, I took Bruce Bowen, who, yeah, he was, I mean, he had like a completely forgettable career with the Celtics, uh, this game notwithstanding. But uh, it was also Chauncey Billups's uh career debut and he played really well so going back to your question about like who i was most excited about i mean when you're a kid you're i guess you get easily attached to to rookies and to the youngest players and the guys who are unproven and so chauncey was certainly someone i had my own um ron mercer was someone i had my i needed someone to make me forget all about the tim duncan debacle and of course you know, I'm getting attached to Chauncey. I'm thinking about getting a Chauncey jersey. He's becoming my favorite player. He's a point guard. Very exciting. He had that cool haircut. And then, like, three or four months later, <laughs> Rick Patino trades him to the Toronto Raptors. For Kenny Anderson. And, <laughs> and Popeye Jones. For, like, and Popeye Jones. And Zan Tabak, Tabak. Um, yeah. Just a, a real who's who of... Uh, of players, but it is. I mean, you just look at, you know, Bill's performance on this night: fifteen points off the bench in sixteen minutes, and I think he played his way into the starting five um, within weeks um, of the start of the year. And then to to give up that. I mean, can you think of any other time in NBA history where a top three pick has been traded in their first season? Like that just doesn't happen. Because it's it's a crazy move, I feel like. No, and... In to, any situation. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I was, like, about to start giving Patino, I don't not credit, but defending him a tiny bit to be, like, uh, the CBA isn't what it was and rookie-scale contracts and blah, blah, but it's still just cataclysmic. Like, what are you doing? I, I mean, what is the... why? Like, I don't understand at the time what the pressure was like to win right away and why you would want to trade someone like Chauncey Billups for Kenny Anderson. And it's just real tough pill to swallow. Um, I think like I'm going through right now, Rick Pitino's the transactions that he made and is responsible for in the draft picks. He did draft Paul Pierce in 1998, but I should give him credit for that though. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not giving him credit for that because it was the 10th pick and Pierce plummeted for everyone knows Pierce plummeted no one really understands why but he fell ass backwards into that one but technically technically took him <laughs> right I mean that is the one I like looking back and coming up in the next couple weeks on Boston Sports Room, I'm going to kind of take a, a deeper dive into the 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 deep dark rabbit hole that is Rick Rettino's, you know personnel moves with the Celtics but um yeah like I, I, I shudder to think where what would have happened with Patino, you know, where how bad the Celtics would have been if they if Pierce didn't drop into their lap because they had so many other moves that just blew up in their face immediately. And um It's yeah, it's tough to think about where the Celtics would be as an organization today if they drafted Bonzi Wells <laughs> instead of Paul Pierce. <laughs> 
So, but first, I want to remind everyone that with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, as they are bringing Vegas to you. Uh, missing the NFL? That's no problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations. You can wager. Excuse me. If you're into entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol. Stock price is even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Uh, all open. T- all these. All this is open 24 hours a day, all online. Uh, visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Uh from a Celtics perspective, that starting five that night against the Bulls, Antoine Walker and newly acquired Walter McCarty at the forward position. So this is uh, something that me and you didn't realize until we did some research for the pod here. So McCarty played, I think, seven, eight years for the Celtics, but this wasn't this was his second year He in, in the league, but this first with the Celtics. So Patino traded for him before the start of that year, but, but here's the kicker. He traded away a guy he signed in the summer, Chris Mills, his biggest free agent signing, a, a you know, 15-point-per-game small forward, who he signed to a seven-year deal before the season started, and then two months later traded him away for four guys headlined by Walter McCarty. <laughs> so, like, you, you hear about, like, oh, the, the Bilbs trade, you know, the... The Vitaly Potapenko trade a couple years later, obviously Patino in terms of misfires, like signing a guy and then trading him two months later um, before the season even starts and giving up draft picks with Mills. I forgot to bring that up to so they would take the contract two seconds to take so the Knicks would take the contract. Um, And then every player that Celtics got back in that deal was absolute garbage except for McCarty. Like Dante Jones, who was a first round pick, was out of the league by next year um scott brooks was a, like a veteran point guard who they released before the season and the no one forgets about uh john thomas uh who i couldn't tell you two things about so yeah it was uh but walter was in the starting five that night with antoine big signing travis Knight in the middle and then old friend dana barrels and ron mercer in the backcourt antoine probably one of the best games of his season i'd imagine that night 31 points eight rebounds five steals two blocks, two assists. He, again, was the bright spot from that year, team a year ago, Mike, and it is, I mean, it is, Antoine's career in Boston was fascinating, but this is probably one of the highlights of it. That's super sad. Uh, <laughs> you got to think he was, he was hyped to go against MJ, go against his hometown team. Because they were boys, right? Him and MJ, like, later on, they became boys. I feel like they... I think so. I like feel gambling like... buddies, anyway? Yeah, which gets us into a really dark turn if we were to go into uh, the financial future that Antoine that was waiting for Antoine Walker. But, um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Patino era is um, a total disgrace. Uh, and uh, just real quick going through some of his even worse moves, I think the the biggest travesty was uh the next season when he trades andrew de and a first round pick for vitaly potipenko which you mentioned uh like i you just don't tra- i just don't understand what the i'd like to go back and read these articles if i had time which i clearly do um so i'm probably <laughs> going to do that to- later today but 
Like, what what is the mentality of giving just giving away a first round pick in that upcoming draft when your team is not like good? You, it's, like, it's like Vitaly Podopenko. You don't first of all, like even if you were a contender, almost I guess like if you're a contender, sure you'll give up your first, but. Like the Celtics were nowhere near that. It's it's like I I can't even understand what the psyche was during uh, that time to to bring someone in like that. It's completely ridiculous. And and so they made that trade during I believe the lockout season, which was you know a fifty game season, eighty eight ninety eight ninety nine. And the Celtics were I believe like eight and twelve at the time of the trade. So this is trading an unprotected first round pick um, at that point when you're, you know, I guess that maybe just speaks to the pressures that were on Patino and being like, okay, we're like, I need to start making the playoffs. I need to start doing something. I got Paul Pierce and, and Antoine Walker and, you know, I don't want another young guy. But at the same time, the that pick ended up being number eight overall, I believe, in the, the 1999 NBA draft. And there were some... There were some pretty big names in that draft, Mike, if I believe uh, your research on this. Yeah. They could have had Sean Marion. They could have had Jason Terry. Those two went 9-10 and 10 to Phoenix and Atlanta. Corey Maggette, Ron Artest, our good friend James Posey. Um, I mean, Andre Karolenko was in that draft, but I, I would that would be really impressive if you were going to take him that right. high. I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, just a, I, also Manu, <laughs> you know, um, also Number someone 58. who you understandably aren't going to take, but still just uh, a total disgrace. Like, I don't even know what else to say about it. So let's, when you just look at the history of lottery picks that are getting up too early in this era, whether it was, you know, number eight, Andre Miller in, in 99 or two years later, Joe Johnson in a 2001 draft for for potential short-term games. What I actually had a commenter pose this to me in a recent um, column on this topic being like, what do you think uh, an Andre Miller, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker team would have been capable of in the East in like the early 2000s there? Would that team have given the Nets a, a, you know, a real run, do you think? Are you... Maybe you still have gone kid and Martin company. Yeah, I mean it's more talented for sure. I, I'm not like breaking any news here, but I don't. I mean, I I always look back at those teams in that era just as fool's gold, and I never I don't look back fondly on it as, at all. I just think the East was such trash, and the NBA in general did not have a lot of talent, and especially, I mean, in the Eastern Conference but in particular, I mean, you look out West and it was just like, you were going to have to go against either a Kings team that was going to dominate you, the um, obviously the uh, the Spurs were out there, and then Shaq and Kobe with the Lakers, so it's just completely unstoppable. I mean, I'm sure that's what was on Patino's mind when he traded for Potapenko, like you gotta have a, sh- a shack stopper on the roster. <laughs> so I kind of understand what he was going for there, but um, yeah, just uh, <sighs> man, this is uh, this is even more depressing than the '90s redraft. I think it really is because you didn't really, at least in the '90s redraft, you still had Bird, McHale, and Parrish, and and Reggie Lewis, and some other you know some bright spots in the early '90s that were there before. Uh, 
you know the veterans got too old and everything started falling apart um but yeah just the i don't know, like watching a lot i mean we're they we uh nbc sports boston has been posting a lot of you know playing out clearly a lot of old classic games from you know mostly the 80s and recently because there's not a lot of classic stuff from the 90s or the early 2000s from a Celtics perspective but from just watching the teams on there you do just remember you know how much better pierce is than everyone else and then how much worse the rest like this like pierce is better than i remembered in that era and everyone else is like just worse than i remember in that era from like those early 2000 teams whether it was Antoine or, you know, uh, Kenny Anderson or whoever else. It's like, yeah, this was this team, you know, Pierce just did not have the kind of help he needed on those teams. To It's even a shock that they took two games against the Nets when you look at the, the talent discrepancy in those series. Yep. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, – I, I mean, I, I feel like I come on here like – every week and just trash Antoine Walker and I guess that's like not super fair I just don't have any great memories except for maybe that game against the Bulls but I mean a part of me was like I love David Robinson and and Tim Duncan going to the Spurs was like oh maybe like (laughs) should I just be a Spurs fan (laughs) and like it, it was they were the the Celtics were uh so bad for so long it was really difficult to kind of get on board and the Patino thing was kind of a shot in the arm because, you know, he was coming off so much success uh, at Kentucky and winning the national championship and uh, I guess like trying to recreate that magic and that playing style in the NBA and we all know how it went. But people, I guess like people, I mean, he had a lot of power. People were really excited about him at the start and... Uh, yeah, big thumbs down. <laughs> I mean, it's just it was just one of the biggest names, and not even college basketball, just basketball period. Mm-hmm. And he's in the Hall of Fame, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, will now be coaching at Iona, I believe, this upcoming season. So um, we curious to see if they bring back the full court press with them um, <laughs> twenty years later. But uh, yeah, just uh, you know. Uh, not exactly a fun walk down memory lane, but a fun walk for one night. The the night everyone had hope. Um, they they the lost their road. next five games. They lost their next five games, and um, yeah, that that is the the true epitome of the Patino era. Oh wait, real quick in the late nineties. You Please. know we didn't we didn't talk about this yet, but the um, the Scotty Pippen trade. Oh, the tra- that yeah, the was not trade. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm glad they did not make this trade, I think. Really? I think. I obviously, What was the proposed offer? Well, Do we know what the... I didn't see... I, I well, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I definitely am glad they didn't because I'm pretty sure that the Pierce pick was included in the package. It was 3-6 mm-hmm. and then what eventually became 10. Got so, it. yeah, no, you're not going to make that trade. But if it's just 3-6, and six, how everything turned out, yeah, I'll I'll move instead of Kenny Anderson. I get Scottie Pippen, and I'm super excited <laughs> about that. Um, and Rod Mercer, who had a very forgettable NBA career. Um, but yeah, you can't trade uh, trading three first. Oh my lord, <laughs> for Scottie Pippen, who was, you know, he already had a bad back. He had some good years in Portland, 
uh, a season with Houston, but was going to be expensive. And I think he was already 30. He was in his 30s. Early 30s. I think already at that time. I'm almost positive. I'll look it up. He had to have been. Because he got drafted, what, like 88? 89? Let me see here. Yeah, 87, excuse me. Yeah, so by this point, he was... 97, 98, he was already 32 years old. Yeah, you don't... Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay. So as great as Scotty Pippen... Yeah, as great as Scotty Pippen is, was one of the 50 best players of all time. Probably, like, one of the 30 best players of all time, I would say. Uh, yeah, don't... That would have been a total disaster. I mean, if he was unhappy with the situation he was already in, imagine how cantankerous, even if they paid him, he would have been in Boston. Just going from Phil Jackson, but Patino coaching wise, that would have been a, <laughs> yeah. a bit of an adjustment. Yeah, that is fascinating to see. I would, I would have been curious to see Pippen cl- close to his peak as the number one on the team, to see like what he could do from a, because he obviously he never topped out more than twenty two points per game for the Bulls, even you know during those two years where MJ was gone, but um like what that if what if with given even more leeway there what he could have produced but it clearly would have been much without a decent supporting cast around him um the one other thing from the last dance from a Celtics perspective that stood out to me mike Mm -hmm. it kind of made me bummed that you know they we saw the 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 epic you know jordan game against at the garden where he went for 63 Mm -hmm. um in 86 but the the Celtics and the Bulls only played one more time, like in that era, and that was a, a first round loss. I think it was like eighty seven or eighty eight, where you know Jordan. I think it might have been Pippen's first year, but you know the Celtics were so dominant they swept them three zero in the first round. Um, but it made me kind of sad that like, you know Jordan and and Bird and company didn't really get a chance to face off. Obviously, Bird would have been past its prime, but there were still some pretty good years for the Celtics in there, but it, it never it never happened. It just never, the bracket never lined up for it. Right, that is weird. Um, I think, like, just going back, I guess the Pistons were the team that he had to get over instead of the Celtics. And that, right. As you said, it's just kind of like a timeline thing. Because um, the Pistons-Celtics were always 2-3, I feel like, in those years, or... One four or however it worked out. There was never a because the Cavs was, were all, also in there. Yeah, exactly. So it was always this, like it was like Celtics Pistons and then Cavs Bulls. I feel like, and it would have been f- fun to just get one of those years where Jordan had a better supporting cast, but wasn't quite there yet to see how that would have you know shaked out. Whether it was like you know eighty nine ninety, like if if those Celtics teams would have held them off, or if if, if the Bulls would have you know, push past them already at that point. Do you, do you have any thoughts on Isaiah Thomas saying, I guess, justifying Detroit's decision to forego shaking the Chicago Bulls hands uh, at the end of the, what year would that have been? 89, 91, 90. I don't even know. Whatever, (laughs) whatever the the Bulls finally got over the, the hump there. I think it was 91. Um, he brings up the 88 Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, where right. the Pistons finally beat the uh, 
Boston Celtics and they do not shake hands. And so Isaiah Thomas is basically saying, hey, the Celtics didn't shake our hands, so what's the big deal that we didn't shake Chicago's hands, which is a little bit of revisionist history. Do you have any um, thoughts on that one? Yeah, so I mean, I I saw the, you know, a former Celtics assistant, I think John was it John Jennings, tweeted out that, you know, hey, that needs more context because they're in the Silver Dome at the time and the crowd is ready to storm the floor. So the Celtics kind of left early because of that. That that was his explanation, which which I believe, given, you know, how raucous those crowds were um, in that era. And, you know, I don't know, like anything Isaiah says, credibility i mean it's tough to swallow from this like like i said there's a lot of revisionist history um during that and you know i mean i don't have a strong stance either way in terms of like the shaking hands after the fact for either of these teams i can see i mean it's clear the celtics hated the pistons guts too on top of that like bird like couldn't deal flam beer he wouldn't shake hands with him before the game much less after the game, you know, in the, in the, before the pregame tip off. So, but I think, I think it's apples and oranges there in terms of the, the actual comparison Isaiah is trying to make, as opposed to him, like literally walking by the, the Bulls bench on the way out. It at, is, on their home it floor. is, yeah, it is pretty funny because it's like, I don't think that Michael Jordan or anyone on the Bulls suggested that Isaiah Thomas was only good because he was white or something like that, right. which is what, <laughs> what that part Isaiah said uh, in 87 after, well, Rodman says he's overrated. They take the quote uh, to Isaiah. Isaiah agrees with it because he's white and then says he's joking. And they have this like surreal press conference during the finals, which try to like think about that. If that were to happen today, like that's, that's true. one of the most wild things ever. It was the Celtics, uh, Lakers 87 finals the Lakers won that series that's the the Magic Johnson baby hook series um and they try to squash the drama it's like that is truly in, insane that Larry Bird had to do to get dragged through all that it is it's just i mean a lot of stuff from that era is insane to think about but that you're right i totally forgot about that whole ordeal um just from obviously from watching old videos and stuff but it is to have that happen like right in the middle of everything right in the middle of your fight for the finals like i mean that is maybe that's why i didn't want to shake your hand right exactly (laughs) like that's that's a pretty good explanation like listen that is pretty good uh rationale from there but um but yeah it is it's been a fun ride so far my guess mike probably not gonna see any more of the celtics in the in the 97 98 season recap for in the documentary here Sadly, I think you're correct. <laughs> um, but was Parrish on that team? Or did he retire the year before? I keep forgetting. Which team? On the Bulls. Oh, no. I, no, he was not on that team. So he... Yeah, he retired in 96-97. Yeah. Got it. So, all right. So that, that's the last link. So we're not going to see any Parrish. So that's that's too bad. But um, all right. Well, that that was our, our walk down memory lane here. Um I'm sorry, it was probably a little bit of a painful one, but uh, again, a lot of this stuff, when you look back at 20, 25 years later, let's be honest, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit worse than you thought. Appreciate, just, appreciate what's happening right now with the Celtics. Exactly, right? 
uh, Danny Ainge and company have things set up a little bit better than uh, than Rick Pitino did uh, 25 years ago. But uh, that's it for now. We'll be back next week at full strength. Uh, we gotta we gotta finish off the drafts, Mike. Gotta do it. Can't wait. We're we're doing 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, um, best of Celtics draft uh, to finish going through our uh, mock drafts there. And then we'll be on to uh, new things. I actually, before we go, Mike, we got a real good idea, I feel like, uh, at our Twitter account, at Winning Plays Pod, mm. uh, from a listener. And he suggested that we do a draft at some point where we try to create the worst like possible Celtics team for each other. <laughs> so let me try to give, pull this up here to give proper credit. Um, this is, here we go. Matt, Matty K at Matty K. He suggests, He's a sicko. You know, he's a sicko. So this is like his first round draft. He's like, I know you. I shouldn't be spending more misery in this world, but if we need more fantasy ideas, I have one for you. A nemesis draft, he calls it. Everyone is picking for someone else for the purpose of giving the other person as crappy a team as possible. So he suggests a first round could be, I pick Olo Candy for you. You pick Sebastian Telfair for Rich, and Rich picks like Mark Blunt for me. And us doing a snake draft along those lines. So that again that's a pretty dark rabbit hole but i thought that was a pretty creative idea yeah maybe we will explore that we are pretty uh yeah exactly that's a dark one so uh we'll reassess revisit it another time but yeah that's not it's not a terrible idea uh and then another comment from directly from the draft from andy donahue after listening to winning plays pod nice draft i really would have wondered what would happen if Reggie lewis had lived and if patino had never taken over uh yeah that's yep (laughs) um but yeah hit us definitely hit us up at winning plays pod um and then ashley walker was mad at you mike oh or mad at all of us excuse me for not drafting jim paxson for the 80s draft and they didn't like your kevin gamble selection (laughs) yeah i actually did say that to (laughs) me well listen if they listen, I'm sorry, Ashley, but we know Mike Pina. He's an, he's a Kevin Gamble guy, yep. as the '90s draft showed. So, um, but yeah, we 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 all have our flaws, and you'll get more we'll have more of them in the next draft. I'm sure as we go through the '50s, '60s, and '70s. So, uh, stay tuned for that. If you have any more ideas, please send them over to us at Winning Plays Pod for future podcasts or comments on this pod or anything else that comes to mind. But, uh. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you guys next week.